الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألا إن أولياء الله لا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون الذين آمنوا وكانوا يتقون وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم خياركم من ذكركم بالله رؤيته وزاد في علمكم منطقه ورغبكم في الآخرة عمله أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most this is a very very difficult task to talk about somebody of that stature, personality makes things very very difficult for anybody but in any case on the hukam of Mufti Sahib I will try to shed some light obviously this is not a biography but this is just some little insight into the life of Hazrat Mu'ayyinu Sahib Rahmatullahi and with the object and purpose of us taking some lesson even if we take one aspect out of this whole thing Inshallah this will be a means of great benefit for us May Allah Ta'ala make it a means of benefit for me first and foremost and for all of us Firstly as far as Hazrat Mu'ayyinu Sahib Rahmatullahi was concerned then this is something which requires no elaboration that Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with tremendous maqbuliyat. The maqbuliyat that he was granted was something which was evident to one and all. Those who were his elders, his seniors, his asatiza, his mashayikh, the ulama in general, the awam, young and old, to the extent that whether friend or even his enemies, one is those who loved him, they loved him, but even his enemies were forced to respect him. So this was the maqbuliyat Allah Ta'ala gave him, and after he passed away, this outpouring of that muhabbat, which was quite a unique situation for many, they had never seen some people had expressed to me, they said, I felt such a grief that I didn't feel when my father passed away. And I didn't even have any formal taluk with Hazrat Mawla. And I was wondering why. I had no idea why I'm feeling this kind of feeling. All this is a sign of that maqbuliyat. Let alone the aspect about the general public and people around him, etc. But even his seniors, his elders, it was around 93 after Ramadan in that year, the Mawla had gone to Dioban to visit Hazrat Mufti Mahmud Sahib Rahmatullahi. So when he went and he met Hazrat Mufti Sahib, it was about a month or so after Ramadan. So Hazrat asked him, Abhi Shaban, ye Shawwal mein safar kaisa? That you came now in Shawwal, normally people would come in Ramadan, people would come before. This is an odd time you've come. So he said, Bas ek takaza tha. There was some yearning within that I needed to come. So Hazrat replied, Nay, mera taqaza tha. But actually it was my yearning for you to come. That's what brought you. And then Hazrat granted him khilafat on that occasion, whereas at that time he had already made ruju to Hazrat Mawlana Shah Hakim Mudakhtar Sahib Rahmatullah And he expressed this to Hazrat Mufti Sahib as well. I said, Ismay kya hai? And he said, Yeh mera taqaza tha. 
Now, this was the attachment that he had with his seniors and elders and the love they had for him. And the endorsement of many people would also be something, but the endorsement of one's seniors and elders, that really counts. Once one person from South Africa was sitting with Hazrat Mawashakim of Akhtar Sahib Rahmatullahi and in that sitting he mentioned some incident. Now it was just the two of them, there wasn't anybody else there. And he mentioned some incident of Hazrat Mawashakim Sahib Rahmatullahi So upon that, now the Sheikh is talking about his murid. And he's saying to him, Aise log dunya mein baut mushkil se milte hai. And then Hazrat Hakim Sahib Rahmatullahi is saying to him, that I make shukar to Allah Ta'ala that he gave Maulana's hand in my hand. Now this endorsement that the Sheikh is saying that I make shukar that Allah Ta'ala gave this person to me. That endorsement is rare. It's not maybe something not found anywhere else, but it's not something found anywhere and everywhere. And that is that maqbooliyat that Allah Ta'ala blessed him with, that even his Sheikh had this kind of words for him, and this kind of uh, feeling regarding him, that he is making shukar of Allah Ta'ala. So in any case, this is, was a very evident thing, this maqbooliyat that Allah Ta'ala blessed him with. But the issue is, this is what we generally would see on the outside of anybody, all our kabir, those who have passed on, those who are present with us in this time and age also. What we would often see is, the outer side of things. We would see the maqbooliyat that Allah Ta'ala blessed them with. We will see the, perhaps, the ikram maybe somebody is making of them. And whatever else goes with it. But this is what is on the outside. But behind this, there is something. Behind this, there is something that brings about this maqbooliyat. This maqbooliyat is something that comes from Allah Ta'ala's side. The very well-known Hadith Sharif in Mishkar Sharif also, where Allah Ta'ala, when Allah Ta'ala loves somebody, Allah Ta'ala calls Jibreel Salatu Wasalam and says to him, I love so and so, you must love him. And then Jibreel Salatu Wasalam loves him, he then announces in the heavens to all the angels, Allah Ta'ala loves so and so, I love him, you must also love him. Then all the angels start loving him. And then, summa يُغْدَعُ لَهُ الْقَبُولُ فِي الْأَرْضِ and then this maqbooliyat descends for him on earth. So this is something when it comes from above. Then there would be from time to time some detractors, there would be some who would want to try and stop this maqbooliyat in some way. There will be those who will try to throw some sand towards the moon. But that's not going to make any difference. This is something which when it comes from Allah Ta'ala's side, and that is something that moves on. So this was very evident in his life and in the lives of all of our kabir. But the point that we are making is that this maqbooliyat comes on the basis of something behind it. And that is sifat. Unfortunately, our focus generally nowadays, alhamdulillah there are those who don't focus in this way, but generally this is becoming the trend that our focus is now on the external things that my measure of success will be the kind of car I drive. If I have, don't have a certain kind of car that I'm driving, then it means I'm still far behind. Somebody else is driving something better, then they have progressed beyond me. 
or maybe the kind of phone I have, or the kind of other material possessions I have. Now this is what we have made our measure and yardstick of progress and success. Whereas, especially somebody who has been blessed with the knowledge of deen, وَلَا تَمُدَّنَّ عَيْنَيْكَ إِلَى مَا مَتَّعْنَا بِهِ أَزْوَاجًا مِّنْهُمْ زَهْرَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا لِنَفْتِنَهُمْ فِيهِ Person Allah Ta'ala has blessed, وَلَقَدْ آتِيْنَاكَ سَبْعًا مِّنَ الْمَثَانِي وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ لَا تَمُدَّنَّ عَيْنَيْكَ إِلَى مَا مَتَّعْنَا بِهِ أَزْوَاجًا مِّنْهُمْ زَهْرَةَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Allah Ta'ala says, blessed you with the Qur'an Sharif and you're looking elsewhere. What a tremendous, great ingratitude. What a tremendous disservice to the Qur'an Sharif that a person who has this wealth and he is now looking at the material possessions of others and feeling inclined towards that, that I should have rather have that Na'uzubillah. Not that there is anything wrong with having the ni'mats and bounties of Allah Ta'ala, but to be desiring those material things in comparison to what one has blessed with, been blessed with. Or to be hankering after that. Whatever Allah Ta'ala has blessed is a ni'mat, to use it, make shukar upon it, that is perfectly in its place. But to be the heart and mind consumed with how I can also start turning the numbers then that is something far away from the shan of an alim. So in any case, what we are talking about, we digressed a bit, that this is the thing that it is sifat, qualities, that you'll find in all these akabir, whether those who have passed, those who are present. It is sifat that brings about this maqbuliyat. And often these sifat are not something, and in fact sifat are sifat, is not something that you can point out that this is sifat number one and number two in a tangible form. These are qualities that become the nature of a person. But where will this become evident? It is waqiat that highlights sifat. Incidents in a person's life, this brings out the good in a person. It will even show his reality if it's the other way around. Because when there's an incident, when there's something that has happened on the spot, that brings out the reality of a person. Because there's no time now to make the sunno and to plan. Otherwise, it's very easy to prepare a bayan of tawazu. Whatever. So to the titles of tawazu is very easy. So to give oneself titles of tawazu is fine. It's very easy. But on the spot when a person suddenly is confronted with a situation, then if there's tawazu inside, tawazu will show out. And if there's takabbur inside, the takabbur will start speaking many languages. And Allah forbid, sometimes he starts speaking vulgar languages. And even vulgar languages from a tongue of knowledge. So what is inside will come out on the spot. So these are the things, the sifat are what bring, the correct sifat. The sifat of qabuliyat bring these, this maqbuliyat from Allah Ta'ala's side. So now in the short time that we have, we obviously ha- have very little time, and it's not possible to discuss much in this time, but just to take a few incidents here and there, nothing in sequence, just in random some incidents, which bring about and highlight some of these sifat that should be in every one of us. And this is the purpose of this discussion Alhamdulillah, in the last of Nay Qadim, we had, we had the discussion of Hazrat Muhammad Abdul Haqq Murji Sahib, which many found a great amount of benefit in. 
So today this is the object of this discussion that as was mentioned earlier that these are people who most of us saw in our lifetime we can relate to somebody we saw to more easily. So that is the object that to take their lessons not to just merely listen to something or speak to some about something just for the sake of discussing it and then that's the end of the day no to take something along. As far as Muhammad was concerned so there were many many qualities Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with on a very very high level among them was his tawazu which young and old the learned and the ignorant everybody was unanimous on this tawazu then there was his shafqat which was of a different level altogether the heart of compassion that he had This was truly something, those who had seen it firsthand, those who had experienced it, this was something very unique in him. And together with that, his helm, the level of his tolerance was also of a different level. His sahawat, generosity, the qurbani for deen, and this is just, we just touching on some things, they were innumerable qualities Allah Ta'ala blessed him with. But now just to take some of the Incidents that highlight this, and as I said, there's no sequence here, just at random some incidents, but just to start off at a very early stage in his life, which he himself once, and most of these are things that he himself narrated. He was 17 years old at that time when Hazrat Haji Bai Padia Sahib had just returned after his four months in India and Pakistan. Now there was no work of Dawat and Tabligh, no Jamaat work carrying on in South Africa at all. Because this was just now the start of it all. Nazari Bhai Paja Rahmatullah had returned. And now the first program that took place, perhaps there might have been something smaller, but the first announced program happened in the Grey Street Masjid. And there was this notice put there that you know, so whoever put the notice, Maulana, Ulam, Padia Sahab, whatever, will be giving a talk after whatever salah it was, so everybody should attend. So in any case, there was a very big crowd now, something was different happening. So in any case, he explained, he gave his talk, and after giving his talk, so now he made the tashkil, this was something totally unheard of, people hadn't seen anything like this. To start off with, I used to say that the bayan that he gave, this too was something not... People were not used to hearing something. They didn't know what he was really getting at. They couldn't really get, because it was unheard of. It was something unknown. So in any case, he then made the tashkil. People didn't understand, firstly, what he was trying to get across to them. Now this tashkil was something even more strange to them. So in any case, now he's asking, who will help me? So after a while now, nobody, finally, one old person who happened to be Haji Sahib's father-in-law, he stood up and he said, okay, I will assist. Then nobody else, eventually Maha says that, came to my mind that here somebody is asking for help. Now this was that sifat in him. That his heart would be moved immediately upon somebody in need. Now this was at the age of 17, and he says, this is what motivated me to stand up. He says, here is somebody asking for help, and how can I not offer something? So he stood up to give his name, to say, okay, I will assist. So now others, this young boy, what is he going to do? So they asked him, what are you going to do? 
He says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll ask him what he wants me to do. But this was the start of it. There was many, many details in it. But we have very little time. So, but this, to highlight this point in here, that what moved him was that somebody is asking for some help. And how can I refuse to help him? And this is something that went on right till the last moment of his life. That way he made purbani of his personal self for everyone else. In any case, this was the journey into his next phase of life. That was towards the end of his schooling. And then he moved on to Dalum Deoband, which was a time of great sacrifice, very difficult conditions. He has discussed this in detail in many places. There is no time to go into those details, but they studied under very, very trying conditions. I remember when the first time after I had gone to al Mazadwal, and he had come, so I took him along to show him our room. So now, those who have seen Azadwal because of the extremely cold winters, so the rooms are designed in such a way that every room, which is for our 10 students, so there is an attached bathroom and toilet with it. So he came, walked in, and said, MashaAllah, you all are living in five-star conditions here. Yeah. And then he mentioned some about the aspect of they stay in Dalum Deoband. And one of the things that he mentioned at that time, that in winter it used to be so cold, and at that time there was no arrangement from the Madrasa side for breakfast. You do your own thing for breakfast. Perhaps it's still the same now, Allah Alam. So they would make their own tea on a primer stove. The primer stove, you put paraffin in it, and you go to... In any case, that primer stove, so the tea would be made in an enamel mug. It would be so cold that while sipping the tea or you eating something, then you leave the tea on that lit stove. Because you keep it down for a half a minute or one minute, the tea will already be cold. In that kind of condition. And then the food was the food of the madrasa prepared on the standard of the local students, which was a very difficult thing for foreigners to eat. But that was it. And that is what they lived with. But this qurbani then went on. Alhamdulillah, finally the time came when he completed in Dalum Deoban. But at that point, when he returned, or before his return, he had a very close taluk with his Asatiz Al-Kiram, Hazrat Mufti Mahmoud in particular, and the Sheikh Al-Hadith of the time, Hazrat Sheikh Fakhruddin Rahmatullahi, who was 95 years old at that time. So in any case, he was quite close to him, attached to him, involved in his khidmat. Before he came home, so he went to meet him for the last time, and he asked him for some nasihat. This is the other lesson that those who have advanced and progressed in the line of deen, then it has not been without the nasihat and the advice of their elders which they took to heart. One is to just ask for nasihat as just a customary thing. When will that become evident? When that nasihat was taken and then the as soon as we turn around and move on, we forgot about what was said also. But those who took nas- asked for nasihat and took it to heart, they asked for the sake of taking it to heart. And then they took it to heart and moved on, Allah Ta'ala opened doorways for them. In any case, when he came to the Sheikh Fakhruddin Ahmadullahi, said, I'm going back, give me some nasihat. So the nasihat that the Sheikh Fakhruddin Ahmadullahi gave him at that time, that you keep Allah Ta'ala in front of you and keep the dunya behind you. The material things, keep it behind you. Inshallah, you'll find Allah Ta'ala in your life and whatever is muqaddar for you, that will still come. 
the dunya will still come behind you. What is meant for you will come. So the primary thing he said to him, you keep deen in front of you, keep Allah Ta'ala in front of you. Meaning, your service to the deen of Allah Ta'ala, your obedience to Allah Ta'ala, you keep that in front of you. And dunya, don't ever make dunya your focus. Don't ever look at the material things others have. You keep deen in front of you. So in any case, this was the nasihat he came with, and this was the nasihat he lived with. So when he came back, the first place that he was given, or well, among the places that asked him to come down, to now settle there, was Moirava, northern Natal. It's a place which is known for its cold, extremely cold conditions. So now he finally, there were other offers as well, but he says at that time, there were some two or three ulama in Pitamarisburg. And then from Pitamarisburg all the way up to Newcastle, there were no ulama. The next place was Newcastle where Azadmah Qasim Sema Sabrahmatullahi was based. Or he was at that time in somewhere in Dundee or in Washbank or something, but just in that vicinity. And now this was somewhere in the middle. So he says he considered that this is a vast area. And in this entire vast area, there is no alim present here. So, I should accept this offer. And the offer that was made to him, there was no long contract at that time. It was just come, and probably they'll tell you what the salary would be. And obviously there was no mention of how many days of holiday there would be. Nowadays, sometimes that is the first thing people look at in a contract. kitni chutti hogi. So, if that is the starting point, but Allah for my. So, in any case, there were offers of more, meaning in terms of salary from elsewhere, but he accepted this purely on this basis that this whole vast area has no alim. So, the motivation was khidmat of deen. any case, he went and settled there. I have a very, very vague recollection of that house because I spent some months there as a child. It was a wood and iron house. And there was no geyser in that house. You had to make the water hot on a stove. And in the winter, the frost would even come from under the door. Outside would be totally white. As a child, I have a very vague recollection of that place. And he spent several years here. And the salary at that time, things were quite cheap. The salary at that time that he received was 90 rands. Any case, that was a meager salary for that time also. But life carried on. Things were going on. But at that time, while he was based in Moirava, in Johannesburg, the Kirk Street Masjid, he received an offer from the Kirk Street Masjid to come and make imamat there at a salary of 800 rands. Now he's earning 90 rands here, and he's being offered 800 rands to come to the Kirk Street Masjid in Johannesburg. And to put it in our context, like somebody is uh, getting maybe six and a half, seven thousand rands somewhere, now he's offered you come here, you get 50,000 rands. Now that is the comparison. That from 6, 7,000 rands, you'll now get 50,000 rands. So the town people also got wind of this, that this is the offer that came. So when they came to him, he said to them, you be rest assured that I'm not going to leave here for any offer of money elsewhere. If there is some other khidmat of deen that becomes, makes it necessary for me to move from here, that's a different issue. Or because that 
cold was also very severe. He says, if I can't manage it out of health reasons, there's a different issue. But the last thing will be that for any monetary offer, I'm going to leave here. You can remain content. And he did not accept that offer. From 90 rands to 800 rands. That 90 rands didn't allow him to own a car. As nowadays that has become the measure of success. What kind of, what kind of car I drive. If I don't have a car, then I'm unsuccessful. It didn't allow him to own a car. He would come to visit our parents in Stanger once in a while by hitching with his family. He would hitch a lift and from one point to the next finally reach Stanger. And it did not allow for, in fact, any luxuries as such. But he continued with that Qurbani until when eventually in time he was, so to say, forced to come and be in the office of the Jamiat that had started at that time. So he was appointed as the his, as his secretary at that time and he was, so to say, pressured to come to Durban and be in the office of the Jamiat. That's the time that he left finally and came from Northern Natal, came to Durban. So the point we made earlier was that when he went to ask for nasihat from Sheikh Fakhruddin and this nasihat he gave him, keep deen in front of you, keep the dunya behind. Uh, he took this to heart and he lived this. And this is what as we said right at the beginning, this Maqbuliyat, Hazrat Shaykh Rahmatullahi, he used to say that people see the tail end of the Mashayikh's life. And those who only observe that and think this is it, they'll go off the track. Because they will only see the outer side of things about how things have now opened out. But they have not seen what is the earlier side of things. The initial life the qurbani that went in it, the hard times that they underwent with patience, with sabr, with tolerance, and only for Allah Ta'ala's pleasure, that is unknown to most. And a person thinks that this is it all. So this is a, if this is the way a person looks at it, he'll get distracted and deviated. So this is the same thing, that his early life was this very, very tough time. A lot of qurbani, a lot of sacrifice. And in these difficult circumstances he continued... And then finally he came through to Durban. Then the rest of his life, in fact the time is already up, but how can one cover anything? In fact, out of Tawazu, when once somebody mentioned to him that someday we'll have to write your biography, so he said, my, my biography will be able to be written on the back of a stamp. Now, that was his humility, but that was part of the sifat that he had. We don't have time to go into many of the issues, but in any case, just to take one incident of his tawazu and humility that he had, after the Maha passed away, our principal as Mufti Saab Dan Barakatum gave a talk also in Malinson Road Masjid, and he mentioned one incident, which I wish to repeat now. He says that short some months before the Maha passed away, it was holiday time at the Madrasa, and there was a student jamaat that had gone in the Oupot area, so they spent some days in Malinson Road also. One or two days, whatever it was, two, three days. So after they came back, so one student came and he was talking to Mustafa and Mustafa asked him some things. So he mentioned that they were there in the Mahas Masjid. So he asked him, what did you, what did you learn from him? What did you see in him? So he says there was something really different. One is that he often came and he was there, so he participated in our programs. We are giving the talk, whatever it is. We are just a student Jamaat. And he came and participated. But he says the second day we were there, so after the Isha Salah or something, or whichever Salah it was, and he came, now he had sat with us for a while, a couple of times, 
So he came to say that, look, I needed to go now, I have to go to Peter Marisburg for some work, so please excuse me, I won't be able to continue sitting in today's program. Now from his the personality that he is, from that level, he is coming to be excused by a student's jamaat that he has to leave, he won't be able to participate. But now this was, there were so many things in this. One was that these are students, they are young people, they are trying to move on. By his participation, they will get encouraged. Now, that was his way of helping. Right from that, as we mentioned, that first incident, where he said, well, this man is asking for some help, how can I not help? That's something that ran throughout his life. So, he came to ask for, so to be, to be excused, that look, I have to go, I can't join you all now. And this is just one of thousands of incidents in his life, in terms of his humility. This is something which anyone and everyone was aware of what was his humility. There were times when I am aware personally, this was long ago, very, very, in fact, long before he had become so prominent as well. People who had, in various ways, given him great amount of taklif. And he went to that person's house to ask him for maaf. About one week ago, I met one brother, and this is a common thing, whenever we meet somebody after a long time, so something or the other, the topic of the mana will come up, and everybody has an incident to say. This was Mahashabir Shabir Kazi Saab's elder brother. So he says, I had a very close relationship with Mahashabir And he says, there was one person living in our area, who was a, in a one way down and out fellow also, he had some little personal weaknesses also, but he would always come and he would ask Mawlana for something, some money. I said, every time I will give him something. So one day he asked for something and Mawlana gave him 10 rands. Now 10 rands we are talking about now some 15-20 years ago incident. So 10 rands too was a significant amount. And this fellow had some weaknesses of his own, and at that time, he, Allah knows best what possessed him, so he actually became vulgar with Mawal. That you give me this, what am I going to do with this? Mawal kept quiet, and he went away. Now this person who was saying the incident, he said, I was present at that time, I heard it, and he said, I even reprimanded this person after Mawal left, that how dare you talk to him like this? So he just said something and went away. He says, by chance, the same evening, the same evening, later that night, now, because we were living in the same area, I said, I was just passing. I see Mawal at this person's, person's door. It was late in the evening. He had come to give him more. Because he complained, and in a vulgar manner also, he came to his door late at night, around Isha time, that I didn't have enough that time, so there's something more for you. Now, this is that tawazu also. This is that shafqat, that shafqat that he had in his heart which there's innumerable incidents of that shafqat. One day it was a Sunday morning, there was some mehman he was sitting with at his house, and one old African woman was shouting outside, she was selling something. So she came to the gate, she's selling something. So now it was a Sunday morning at about 10, 11 o'clock. So I came there, so this old lady now, it's a hot morning, and she's selling something. So I asked her whatever she's selling. So I asked her, how many do you have of this? So whatever items, number she had, how much it is? So he bought the whole lot. He bought the whole lot and he gave her the money. And he said to her, you see everybody is today resting with their families. Today you also go rest with your family. So there's the money. 
And then that mehman was there, he gave him some. He said, I'll take some more, you give others. But he bought off everything that she had, just so that she, that shafqat, he was overwhelmed with the shafqat. And it was something difficult for him to pass without doing something for someone. Anybody in need, in fact, I can recall, this was very, very long ago, as when I was still in my school days, and when I would be sometimes in Durban, and while passing somebody, total stranger, that time things were a little safe also, total stranger is hitching a lift, he couldn't pass by, he had to give the person a lift. Sometimes, others who were in the, they were sort of reprimand him, so to say, or scold him in a sense, and how can you just pick anybody up, you don't know the person from anywhere. You know, I looked, okay, person is hitching a lift now, how can you just leave him, he needs a lift. This was a shafqa that was in his life, in his heart, and this consideration that he had, this is also not a masla issue, but he always thought first of others. Unfortunately now, our situation is very different. One of the things, as I said, is not a masla issue, but he was not fond of brides. And the issue behind it was, that it is known that if there is a bride taking place, then the fragrance of that goes right through the whole neighborhood. And his thinking behind it was that there are many people living in the neighborhood who cannot afford this, who would never probably have something like this in the whole year. But now they will also smell something happening, and this is going to bring certain feelings in them, that I am deprived of this, and this person can have it. So to avoid that pain to somebody else's heart, he was not fond of this. He was something... As I said, not a masla issue. It's not something that is a fatwa or something. But again, the lesson of this consideration, this consideration for others, this is something that was very, very deep in his heart. As far as his sakhawat and generosity is concerned, this was something which, again, those who worked with him or were close to him in the Jamiyat office at that time, I've heard personally from them, one of them was Mawlana Ahmad Umar Sahib, Dhamdar and others also, who had personally witnessed this. In fact, just about a few weeks back, met one person who used to work somewhere, but he had a very, like, because they were working in some place which was under the Jamiyat supervision at the time, so they used to interact with Mawlana a lot. So he says that it was a common thing among us, the simple ordinary worker, he says that there was a common thing among us that we used to call his top pocket the magic pocket. He said, anybody go and ask anything from him, his hand is gone in his pocket and something he, he'll give the person. So, this was his sahawad, one incident that happened once. That somebody, he was gone for Umrah and somebody came and gave one hadiya to his son-in-law, elder son-in-law to give it to him. So he gave it to him in an envelope. He was a well-known person, somebody close as well. So any case now, when he came and gave it, well, I opened it, so there was 10,000 riyals inside. 10,000 riyals. So now the person was, he wasn't a stranger, he was well-known, he gave the hadiyah out of ikhlas. So he accepted it. But by the second day, in other words, within 48 hours, the last of those riyals were already spent dishing it out to others. The workers in the Haram Sharif, you go to the Qabristan and give the workers, and Allah Ta'ala made it such that they were so used to receiving from him, now that he is buried in Makkah Mukarramah, 
any South African comes, they expect, they immediately know something is coming out of respect for Maulana, this person also give me something. So, within 48 hours, that last bit of those 10,000 riyals were already spent on others. And several people told me that they didn't, I, they didn't know of this incident that somebody gave him Hadiya. One person from Karachi who's based in, well, had made hijrah to Madina Munawara. He said that I had some need, etc., but I didn't know who to t- talk to, I didn't know what to do. And I just saw Mawlana in the haram, I just came to make mulaqat with him. I didn't even come with any other intention at that time. He says he put his hand in his pocket, and whatever came in his hand he just gave me. He says, and I opened it later on, I got a shock of my life, it was 800 riyals. He says, nobody had given me one fraction of that also in my life. Whatever came, he didn't even look, he just gave it to him. This was the way that he went on, this was his life of sakhawad. Then, as we mentioned about his helm, I have no idea, and I don't think anybody has, any idea of him ever having taken revenge against anyone. And this again was sifat. In the life of Rasulullah we read about the sifat of Nabi that He never took revenge for his personal self. I don't think there's anybody who has ever witnessed or knows anything about Rasulullah ever taking revenge about or against anyone, from anyone for anything about something that was done to him. Rather, come what may, he overlooked and forgave anything and everything. Against his personal self, there were times when baseless accusations were made against him. And we're not talking about just minor things, major things. But baseless, totally without any uh, foundation, just people just trying to... When the Amyali Musrat were not spared, then the awliya, then what can one expect? That they will be spared... Allah Ta'ala's nizam this is that in this way also sometimes Allah Ta'ala makes their qualities and sifat evident. So in any case this is something was never witnessed. That he ever took revenge against anybody. Then to just round us off one of the things that takes a person way ahead in life is dua. Taking the duas of others. One is asking for dua, that too is something established from sunnah, to ask for dua, and to take dua, taking dua referring to a person conducting himself in such a way, that the dua just involuntarily flows out. One is, alhamdulillah he had the dua of our parents, and besides the dua on a general note, despite at that stage of his life, when he was now this very renowned personality, internationally known, with thousands of people taking benefit from him. And this is really that makbuliyat. Makbuliyat is, not in terms of what ikram and so on, that is something which is a fringe thing. The makbuliyat is in terms of what Allah Ta'ala uses a person for the benefit of deen. What kind of benefit of deen people received. Alhamdulillah, the benefit that was received via him was throughout the world. And up to this day, from time to time, people, sometimes some email will come that I, by chance, stumbled across some website where I picked up some talks of Mawla. And my greatest regret is I didn't come to know about this personality while he was still alive. But this talk that I've heard now from some website I've downloaded, it has already changed my life. Now, years after he's gone and left the dunya, 
that benefit is still continuing. This is Makbuliyat. So in any case, one was the du'as that came involuntarily. Apart from that, now when he's on this level, he's a khalifa of an internationally renowned sheikh of his time. And in this situation also, he would regularly come while my parents were alive. On many occasions while I was present, this would happen. He would come and he would come and ask my marhuma mother, Allah bless her with the highest stages in Jannah. He would say, I'm going to give this bayam, make dua for me. He would come to my father and ask him for dua. And apart from that, I personally heard at the time of Tahajjud, my father's dua was flowing for him. So one was the dua that he took involuntarily. And apart from that, despite his position, despite the caliber of person he was, despite all the name and fame that Allah had already blessed him with, but that didn't make him independent of taking the du'as, coming down and humbling himself, asking for their du'as. The du'as of his asatiza we discussed already. Then there was one incident that he mentioned himself, that this really became a situation that expedited his whole journey. It happened once that while he was in Umrah, Hadith, Shah Kimod, Akhtar Sahib, Alhamdulillah, or Sheikh Murshid was also in Umrah at the time, and Hadith was leaving from Madina Munawwara and coming to Makkah Mukarramah. Or he was rather on his way out now, he was coming to Jiddah, he was supposed to spend one or two days in Jiddah for some programs and then leave. And Ma was meant to stay on in Madina Munawwara. So in any case, he saw them off from the hotel. And when they reached Makkah Mukarramah, Jiddah, they realized that Hazrat's personal bag, some briefcase or something in which were some important documents, which Hazrat had given somebody to take personal care of, somehow in the, whatever happened at that time, he kept it down with all the luggage and thought that, well, it all got loaded and that one bag got left behind. Now, they only discovered it when they landed at Jiddah. Now, because Mawla was in Madina Munawara at the time, so immediately some Hadim phoned him and said, please go to that hotel again and just check, is this bag safe, is it there? And if it is there, please keep it with you. And so and so is coming two days time, give it to him, he'll bring it and come. So in any case, Mawla went, he found that bag was safe, it was there in the reception, somebody had found it, they kept it. So he took it along, he immediately phoned, and he gave the message, that, Alhamdulillah, the bag is safe, I got it with me. Very well. So he said, okay, so and so is coming two days time, you bring it. So he says, he brought it and came along. But when he came, he said that this is the bag of my sheikh, and he's got some important things in here. And in any case, somebody, it's his saman, he's in one end, his saman is somewhere else. He's going to be a little uneasy that, I hope this thing reaches me safely now, it's going to come via some third party. So how can I keep my sheikh in this unease? And at that time, now this was the tail end of the stay, so his money was almost running out also. Whatever funds he had brought along for the stay was always almost on its tail end. So this is sufficient now to take the bus and come from Madina Munawara to Jiddah and back. So he immediately came and told his family that, look, I need to go now to Jiddah to drop off this bag. He immediately came to the bus station, took a bus, didn't inform anybody that I'm coming. And he came straight all the way to Jiddah to the house where that was based. And he knocked on the door. So, now this was a few hours after this, five, six hours later, after they asked him to fetch the bag, 
barely five, six hours later, he's at the door. So the host came and he opened the door and he got a shock. Mona is here, they told me you are in Medina Munawara. So he said, no, I just come to bring Hazrat's bag along. So they took him straight to Hazrat, was in the room. She said, Hazrat, Mona Tashif lahe hai. Kya, kis, Mona came now, he was in Medina Munawara. So in any case, they brought him in. Aap kaise aage? He says, no, I felt difficult that you will be in the state of unease with your saman there. I decided to bring it. Now this is taking du'as. He says, the du'as that flowed from Hazrat at that time, he says, that was something that has opened my way out for me. Now these are the things, these are the sifat, as we said that, this maqbuliyat comes with sifat. And this sifat are something which are behind the scenes. It is something inside a person. It is something part of the system. And the thing about his sifat was, that it wasn't something that was takallufan. There wasn't any tasannu in it. His tawazu was not something that he had to force himself to do. The shafqat wasn't something that he had to coax himself to make the shafqat. These were things that were part of his system and it become part of his system. And these are the sifat that brought about this maqbuliyat. This is the object and the purpose of this discussion that to make dua, Allah Ta'ala bless us with these sifat as well. Allah Ta'ala enable us to follow in the footsteps of these akabir, grant us some iota, some fraction of what they possessed in the love of Allah Ta'ala from this great fervor of deen, this fire that was burning in their hearts to serve deen, to serve Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala May Allah Ta'ala give them the highest stages in the akhirat and bless us also wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah